Hello everyone, you're listening to the first episode of the Cultivated Space Podcast. Yad Ashik Edo Shitne Shan Edison Dashitjine Kia Ani Nishle Tachini Bashishin Torichini Dashichi Aro Kintlichini Dashinole Akut Ego Hastin Nishle University of Denver de Inishtra Do Anthropology be Inishtra DA Senior Capstone Project Tune in as I explore indigeneity as medicine and senses of belonging at predominantly white institutions, specifically the University of Denver through the lens of indigenous scholars. This project was inspired by the anthropology department at the University of Denver as my senior capstone project. This was also inspired by my identity as a Navajo, as a Diné, as a person of color, and as as an indigenous scholar. I have been influenced by my past, present, thinking about future histories. I am inspired by my peers and my indigenous students of color, as we both have to find senses of being in predominantly white institutions, specifically the University of Denver. This project was truly inspired by not only my sense of identity and how I relate to the world around me, but to how my peers find senses of belonging and their kinship to the world around them. As a scholar of anthropology, this campstone was really inspired by the ways in which I navigated the Western world in these academic institutions. Being an indigenous person, moreover being a Navajo, I was taught to uphold the certain values of my people and the certain values of my family, so however way I represent myself to the world is how I represent my family. And how do I keep the traditions and the morals and the language and the culture and the way I see the world through a Navajo land? How do I navigate that in settings where my language or my people are barely even acknowledged, right? And to be part of a population of indigenous students in a predominantly white institution, it's very challenging. And I've experienced it throughout my years here. But with that being said, I want to emphasize that I, myself, Rashawn Edison, I embody the world around me. I am Kiani, Towering House Clan, born for Tuchitni, red streak running into the water. My maternal and paternal grandparents' clans are Torichitni, bitter water, and Kintlachitni, red house. This is how I identify with my people and all the holy ones above me. These is how they know me, these holy spirits and these deities around me. It is through these words and this indigenous way of knowing the world that allowed me to, to, to become inspired and to create a project in which I'm doing right now. It is the words and the teachings and the love and the prosperous ways that my grandparents instilled upon me in which I find strength in my culture, I find strength in my religion, I find strength in indigenous ways of knowing the world, that natural law is above all law, that as a human being we were placed on earth 
to help each other, to respect each other, and to care for each other. It is until colonization came this way that it altered the way we all think and the and the ways we all process information and see the world. It's changed now. So by thinking of that and keeping on to to really tight to the things that, that I love about my culture and my religion, that's my medicine. And I use these words, Shiyajit Akwajit Ego, to persuade me to live a beautiful life, the best life I can live. And it's through this that my experiences and my personal histories and the culture of my people allows me to express who I am as a person right now. So how do I come to terms with it? How do I express sovereignty and liberation to my peoples while also participating in Western ways of knowing. So this is how this project came to be. And it was influenced by my peers, um, my native indigenous peers and my friends, my family, my relations like that. In my language, we say shike, which is our family, my people, it really means five-fingered being. So that's how, how, how we I see it. So this project, by extension, is something that is very powerful. And, and one that which research is focused on indigenous identity and cultivating space in which students highlight their medicine. And how that means so much to them on an individual and collective being. Now, how do they express that in Western education in the classroom, right? How, how do we express our senses of being while also having the feeling of exclusion and being invisible? The purpose here is, is to, to create a space in which indigenous identity can be expressed without being attacked. In, in which a cultivated space is made through kinship, through friendship, through artwork, through creative expression. What, what really inspired this project and made me think about my time at the University of Denver was this notion of kinship and this notion of, of wanting to even be here. And I graduated from high school at the Native American Community Academy in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this is a charter school that focuses on indigenous native identity through history, immersion, and cultural language. This charter school was named NACA, and this is where I graduated high school in 2018. And the curriculum at this charter school focused on the indigenous perspective. So we didn't learn the mainstream history in which public education, at least in Albuquerque, New Mexico, would that look like. But in in my high school, um, they really emphasized this 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 um, concept of holistic well-being, right? We we want to be physically, emotionally, mentally capable to to maneuver through this world, through an indigenous lens, right? Because as indigenous people. No matter where you are, we're connected to the land, where we're connected to the spirits of the land, animate and in, in, inanimate. And all our relations, 
all the, 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 the things that breathe, the things that have a conscious mindset, we relate to those people and we call them our relatives. Especially for me, um, as a Navajo, you know, um, I grew up with the traditions, ceremonies, language of, of my people. And, and I know that not a lot of indigenous people get to have that experience as we move into urban, urban areas and continue on in the Western, Western world. And so my clans, Ki'ani, Tachini, Twitichini, and Kintlichini, that's how I, I refer to myself as, as a Dene, as a human being to the holy ones above me, like I said, to my relatives. I also make relations that way. And, and I, I have lots of cousins. <laughs> but going on to my being and myself as an indigenous person, I, every day I wake up, I'm reminded of the soft words of my grandmother. She always says, and she always told me when I was growing up, still to this day, she says, which, if you were to translate it into English, the closest description is, my child, success starts with you. And and through this, her words, it's more, it's worth more than a phrase of encouragement. This is something that is embodied to our day-to-day life and our existence and how we continue on as a human being, not just a Navajo, you know, because as five-fingered humans, that's the way my grand, my grandparents talk about it. We're five-fingered beings. And, and once we, we get on that ideology, that, that, that holistic level of just being human, I think it, it allows us to see beyond color, right? To be, to see beyond what monetary value, property, money, you know, stuff like that. To, to, to look at the individual and to create a relationship with the beings all around us. That's what it is. So these words of, of my grandpa and my grandma, they become an essential part of who I am, how I embody myself as a Dene, as a holistic person. These words are also how I govern myself day to day as an individual. Hence, I am guided by their teachings. So in this project, my podcast, I chose to do a podcast for a very specific reason. Because during my time as an undergraduate student, I write a lot of papers, right? And a lot of these assignments, they're, they're made just for one professor, for one eyes to see. And it's kind of just, I submit it, I'm done, I get the grade, you know, that's kind of how it is here. But the podcast, this podcast, this podcast medium, Cultivated Space, it allows me to talk to my relatives, you all who are listening right here. It allows me to express myself in a way that written words cannot explain, you know. And... In academic settings, especially in higher education, there's a disconnect between how knowledge can be transferred, right? Because what we learn um, as a scholar and, and in this academic institution, University of Denver, they taught me to use really big words, right? To be critical, to analyze, to, to make our own arguments, right? But when we do do that, we're, we're limiting ourselves to only a specific kind of audience, so a podcast breaks through those barriers and in which I can talk to my relations 
wherever this may go, you know. And my family can listen. Um, who I interview in these podcasts can listen along to. And their families. And not just the anthropology department. Um, I really want this to be something that's a collective entity. This podcast allows not only you, the individual, to listen. But it creates a discourse in, in how we see identity. And how personal experiences are valid. And how our stories, they mean something. And our experiences, they're valid. And we don't, with this podcast, it doesn't only validate that. It makes us a sense of who we are as a collective being. As resilient people. So, as a scholar of anthropology, I am, I have to confront the history of, of, of this discipline. So... Anthropology in North America is very interconnected with colonization and settler colonialism. The foundations of anthropology, the first anthropologists that were kind of out there making these theories, right? They laid the groundwork for this concept, this ideology of indoctrination of discovery. And for all my relations who don't, don't know the indoctrination of discovery, it's essentially an entity that cultivates this this thing that we call manifest destiny where it's god's will it's god's will to take land in what's ever ours this this thought process process of colonization and progress in in like a capitalistic manner that's what the indoctrine of discovery is it's ve- it's been very lethal to our people through policy and law and institution our indigenous people are subjugated to to these instances and it makes me think it really does make me think my place in the world as an indigenous person who participates in western ways of knowing and learning right so anthropology as a discipline as a discipline was made for this intention to subjugate and dominate indigenous people native americans and how do you do that right you do it by by invalidating their sources you do it by saying they're savages, they're barbarians, they're, they're unholy beings. And you create that narrative, right, without, without seeing the other side of their viewpoint. That's kind of how um, the history of anthropology is, is to take, 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 especially in North America, take from the land, take from the people. You know, we, we find some, a burial ground over here, we're going to take their bones and we're going to examine them. We're not going to try to talk to their people, their their descendants and stuff like that. No, they're, they, they're incapable, essentially. So anthropology, in that sense, was, was made to, to, to subjugate um, people who did not, groups that did not fit the elite, that did not fit the capitalistic settler agenda. So here I want to highlight Vine Deloria Jr., the late Vine Deloria Jr., who wrote a book called Custer Died for Your Sins, an Indian Manifesto. And Vine Deloria Jr. Jr. is an indigenous historian and activist um, that comes from the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. But in his book, he, he wrote about this relationship between Native Americans and anthropologists. But in his conclusions, um, he says that the fundamental thesis of the anthropologist is that people are objects for observation. That in turn, the anthropologist thus furnishes the justification for treating Indian people like so many chessmen available 
for anyone to play with. So by doing this, he's essentially saying that native native people in the past, they were dehumanized to just become objects. You don't have a right to your ancestral people, your lands, because we as settlers, we're going to take over it. And you can't do nothing about it. Assimilate. That's kind of how it is. Especially to this day. Um, there, there's been a lot of wrongdoings in anthropology. On all all the fields to Native Americans and different cultures. And it's pretty ironic because the study of anthropology is to understand culture. Between contexts and in the present world. How we study people. Humans. But yet at the same time it... it we've seen within history it's become a tool to become very destructive it's an entity that affects people and communities in real life so as a scholar of anthropology it is essential to know the origins of this field and all its unjustifications in order to create a better place and in this project it would be for my indigenous peers on which this project is based in turn there is little research and scholarship of Native Americans in higher education. So this podcast further contributes to the education, determination, and perseverance of our indigenous relatives across all of Turtle Island by centering this project on asking what is medicine and what does that look like and how do indigenous scholars use that to navigate the Western world by asking this fundamental question of my project. What is medicine? What is medicine? By doing that, we create a discourse in which research and scholarship can contribute to, to, to Native American needs and Native American social issues. And to create inclusive spaces in which me and my fellow peers can feel safe. By doing all of this, we as a collective being, you the listener included, we challenge trauma-centered research with progressive thinking to further help and create resources for our people. So with all this in mind, I, it's very important, it's very, very, very important to understand the history within the institution and its relationship with indigenous people. So for a little bit historical context, the founding of the University of Denver is directly linked with the atrocities of the Sand Creek Massacre in 1864. In this massacre, there were over 230-plus Cheyenne and Arapaho people who were brutally killed, many of them women, children, and elderly people. It is here that the painful past must be known in order to examine the situation the indigenous students are in now. By doing this as a collective and by centering the indigenous voice, we can better grasp the current state of indigenous students in the place they're in now, and how they continue to navigate the settler state. So what what does this all really mean, right? 1864 was so long time ago. How do we contextualize that? This is my my, my question. How How is indigeneity being perceived and used in institutions like this? But it's very important to link it back to the history. So, for example, as I walk by the Evans Catholic Chapel, named after John Evans, the founder of the University of Denver, as I walk by this chapel on my way to class, I am reminded of the ideologies of exclusion and cultural dominance. The legacy of settler colonialism daunts me 
as I read the sign that says Mass starts at 6 p.m. I am forced to reckon with the realities of feeling invisible and displaced. As of now, and during my whole time as an undergrad student here, there is no designated safe space on campus where Native students can connect with their identity and culture. In turn, considering the link between the Sand Creek Massacre and the University of Denver, one would think that resources would be available for the Indigenous students, especially a Native Student Center, but as of currently, there is none. So, as an Indigenous student who embodies Shiyashet Akwajit Ego and coming from a marginalized group in which I'm very proud to be a part of, you know, I wouldn't trade my identity with anybody. But how, how do I confront Akwajit Ego when I'm not being represented as a human being on campus? The very fact that I get to walk past a church in which Catholicism is practiced regularly how how do i how how do i mentally stay strong when burning sage on campus is not accommodating to the students we have to go off campus to burn sage when 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 my white counterparts can go to go go to catholic mass at 6 p.m so these are the obstacles in which i am forced to reckon with but what do these obstacles look like to my other fellow indigenous peers because I know my personal histories and my culture is not the same as everybody else's. We have a very diverse group here at the University of Denver. And we have lots of tribal nations that are represented. So the way I think and view the world is inherently unique. But it's especially unique to my peers and my classmates and my friends. My indigenous peers, classmates and friends. So medicine can come in any kind of form. But what does that look like? These are the questions in which I pursue in these series. So again, what do these obstacles look like? And how do indigenous scholars navigate the University of Denver as a predominantly white entity? Although these are the questions I'm exploring in my project, these are the questions I will be exploring. First, given the complex and unjust history between DU and native peoples, indigenous students must navigate these phenomenons. Indigenous students embody both indigenous and western views, which ultimately shapes our senses of belonging. So how are these intersectionalities navigated, supported, and rejected during our time in college? Although these questions are not the focal point of this podcast, they serve as guiding entities to shaping how this project will ultimately unfold. I intend to explore the connection between painting and expression. By doing this, the abstract thinking becomes tangible, in which is co-produced between researcher myself and native students, which is the community. And this becomes a tangible item in what indigeneity could look like. Second, indigenous scholars cultivate senses of belonging in settler colonial institutions. This is what I seek to explore, discussions evolving around medicine, kinship, and identity. Third, I propose that in higher education, viewing and seeing indigeneity as medicine promotes the expressions of resilience and senses of belonging, however way that may look. The scholarship on these kinds of topics focuses on the barriers of institutional structure, which is then upheld by cultural capital and its power structures. In designing this podcast, I further counter this narrative 
by examining these contexts from indigenous student-centered expression as medicine. This project focuses on both individual and collective senses of being to which this work is ultimately dedicated. So in all these senses, my central question is, what does medicine look like in these environments by focusing on identity? So there it is, people. I present my senior capstone project, but last, but certainly not least, I like to give my immense gratitude to the land in which this project is based. My appreciation extends beyond acknowledgement in which the ground I study and live upon and walk upon in the Denver area was once home to the Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute nations. This is extremely important for me to give thanks to the land, the people, and all the spirits around. This is not simply an acknowledgement. It's an appreciation of gratitude. As my being as a Dene, I was taught to give offering tokens of gratitude wherever you go and wherever you walk. And whatever things that make you happy bring laughter and joy to your life, you offer something. So, during my whole time at the University of Denver, I've made prayer, i made offerings. And through that, I've established a kinship to the environment around me. Even though it's not natural, it's not a land-based environment. There's buildings here. But underneath this concrete is Mother Earth. Earth Mother, some people call it. But upon the surface, it's very important to me and my people to give thanks. Because ultimately, I'm a visitor here. And you're a visitor here. Wherever we go, we're all visitors. So we need to be mindful of that. And that is an indigenous perspective. That is one that is very hard to grapple with when you think of Western ways of knowing and trying to create that translation. So this Cultivated Space podcast highlights the strength and the resilience of Native American students at the University of Denver. I do this through an ethnographic medium. As I bring guests on the show in future episodes, we will create a painting. By doing this, art also becomes a form of medicine, in which our stories and conversations will become a a tangible item. So over time, As the series grows and more episodes keep on coming in, our collection of paintings will grow. And we can literally see indigeneity expression through art as medicine. So stay tuned to this journey as we explore these intersectionalities through indigenous scholars' lens in higher education. (laughs) 